Welcome to the Decades of Strength podcast. We are Kim, Marcy, and Katie. We are three women on one mission. We are obsessed with empowering women to gain confidence, build strength, and ditch feelings of unworthiness. So grab your chair, come sit at our table, and let's talk. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Decades of Strength podcast. Katie Crocus here. I'll be your host today. Joining me are Marcy Nevin and Kim Schlag. How are you, ladies? Hi, Katie. Hi, Mars. Hey. Hi. Hey, how's everything going? Oh, I'm doing well. Excited about the holiday season. Finally finished my decorating. Nothing too exciting going on here. Very nice. How's the new apartment, Mars? Are you settling in? Uh, Well, that's a loaded question. (laughs) I'm... I'm settled in the fact that I love it. I am so happy to be here. I don't, I was telling someone this the other day, I knew that I needed the change. I don't think I knew how needed it was Mm. until I got here. So it has been amazing, but let's be honest, priorities right now are not unpacking. I, (laughs) I would say at least two weeks ago, I locked myself out of the bedroom and I still have not locked or tried to unlock the door oh my god legitimately can't get into that that i I legitimately cannot get into that yeah it locked from the outside it was like how does that happen i tried to take a meat thermometer (laughs) to it the other day and it was not working um so i'm probably gonna have to have someone come in i am gonna have to have someone come in to unlock it but i do not have a bed i need to order a bed I just had this futon that is acting as a couch and a bed. So I'm like, eh, I've got somewhere to sleep. It's fine. Oh, it's like you're in college. I'll figure it out later. I just, I have so much going on. Like I'm just, I hate the word busy, but I'm like busy. So it's just not a priority. You know, and Marcy, what did you smash at Whole Foods in your stories? Was that Whole oh, Foods? Lord. I saw that <laughs> um, this morning. I went in there like last minute, right before they closed last night. I needed to get like cauliflower rice because Trader Joe's is out of cauliflower rice. There's a shortage, I think. So I went to trade or I went to Whole Foods and I got a couple things and you know, a few impulse buys as well. And their sparkling water at Whole Foods is so good. The flavors are delicious. I'm like, yeah, I'll get one of those. I was carrying out around like a 12 pack of Zevia and I put the, the water under my arm. And then I was trying to carry the Zevia and a couple other things. And I was right at the checkout counter and I was trying to like pick up the, the oh. water bottle. To put it on the belt and it just came crashing down and you should have seen the look on the guy's face who had to clean it up he basically like gave me the biggest eye roll and i was like so was it glass it was glass yeah uh, it was glass i i i like felt it going out and i was like no please don't break and it shattered oh that's a typical mercy thing oops so, and, and they're about funny. The i just posted a meme we'll about that last, like last week <laughs> anyway so uh kate What's going on with you? You have a, a, a little arrival coming soon. Yeah, it's just, it, we just can't ever go very long without having like a baseline number of pets in this house. And <laughs> like a couple months ago, we had three cats and now we're down to two, now we're down to one. They're indoor, outdoor cats. And so the life expectancy on those guys just isn't quite as long. Aww. And uh, so of course, you know, we, we get, you know, a few weeks into having just two cats down and my kids start begging and my husband starts saying absolutely not because he's the one who cleans the litter boxes. And so he's like, I don't need that. Uh, he's in charge. It's nice. He's in charge of sort of like animal duty. We get to like love on all the animals and he sort of does all the upkeep, like bless nice. him. And so 
anyway, cut to Christmas time and finally he folded and he's like, fine, if, if you come across and you happen to come across some kitten that needs to be adopted, like I will not say no. And the, like, there's always a kitten that needs to be adopted. So we went out to meet some and like instantly fell in love with this little guy who we've already named Sweet Potato. Like he just climbed into my daughter's lap and like, if you've ever had a cat before, you know, generally they're not real docile creatures. Like they don't tend to want to be with you. Like we wanted a cat. There's a few out there that are like golden retrievers. And we wanted to find this like magical cat that would just like sleep on us like a doll. And I think we found it. We'll Aww. see. It's, when he comes it is home hard and, to find. I know. Well, I'll let you know when he comes home in a week and a half, it may just be like the atmosphere or the fact that he's kind of like a dozy little kitten. And when he comes home to our chaos, he's just going to hide under a bed and become a typical cat. We'll, we'll let you know. And so. I got to say one last thing, because you guys are talking about decorating for Christmas, which I have no decorations at all. I do need to bring in my little tree. and But that tree behind you, Katie, oh yeah. my gosh, I am feeling so nostalgic. It's uh, one of those like ceramic, if you guys, obviously you guys can't see it. Yeah, That yeah. is like memories from my childhood. Me oh, too. We had that tree. Yeah, yeah, this is my, I went and painted this with some girlfriends like five years ago at like a pottery painting place. And um, it was, it's my, one of my favorite decorations. And so, yeah, I, I pull it out. It's one of the, the few that I will pull out every single year because we have a lot of stuff that's like, I just don't want to haul all the boxes up every single year. But um, this one reminds me of my childhood too. I think mm. like so many of us had these. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, I'm going to live vicariously through you for today. <laughs> well, in the interest of the holidays and how busy it is and how little time everybody seems to have, we're going to jump into the podcast. Today, we're actually going to do some listener Q&As uh, because we are so fortunate. We have people who always come to us with thoughts and ideas. And every now and then we like to kind of put our own priorities and our own uh, topics on hold and make space for those that you bring to us as listeners. So first and foremost, thank you for that. And so uh, I'm going to rattle off some questions and we'll just kind of go around and uh, take each one and, and, and go down the road that way. Sound good? Let's do, Let's do it. All right. So one of the first ones I got was in regards to strength training. How often should we do strength training per week for it to be effective? Kim, you want to take this one? Yeah, I can start here. <clears throat> um, it's not necessarily about how many times a week you do the training. It's going to be more about what type of training you're doing. If you are progressively overloading, how intensely you're working during your workouts. That said, if you train one time a week, that's not going to necessarily give you um, the opportunity to get in enough um, effective sets. And so one time is probably too little. If you train seven days a week, you're going to be overtraining. Even six days a week is a lot. So the sweet spot for most people is going to be somewhere two to five. Really, I only suggest two for people who they're just getting back into training and we're looking to build some habits, build some confidence, get some movement in. Or if your schedule is so busy, I know Marcy hates that word. <laughs> if you're so busy that you're like, I would just, I'm not going to do more than two. I want people to feel successful. And so I'd rather program somebody for two days a week that they successfully hit than program three or four. And they're kind of hit or miss with them. Most people that the people that I train three or four days per week, five days is a good fit for other people. People who really like training can do those, those five days a week. Um, two days per week, I do full body. If you're going to do three days per week, I would do a lower upper full body split. 
If you're going to do four days a week, there's lots of options. My favorite is upper, lower, upper, lower, um, but there are other ones. And if you want to do five days, I like upper, lower, upper, lower. And the fifth day being um, a day to work on your weak points, something that you want to like get a little extra volume for. If you're training to get your first chin up, we could do a little bit of skill work there. Um, those are kind of my go-tos, but you, there's not like a magic number. Like here's the number of days you should train. I agree. Very well said, Kim. I think the last thing that I would just add to that is we talked about this in a podcast a couple of weeks ago, but really paying attention to your biofeedback and asking or assessing how am I recovering? So I'll just use a very quick personal example. I trained four days per week for years and years and years, and it worked very well for me. And then this last, what's called mesocycle that I did, which is essentially just a an four, six, eight, 10 week block. However, it lasts. Uh, I was lifting five days per week. So three lower body sessions and I'm eating enough food. I'm sleeping enough stresses, you know, as well managed as can be. Uh, and my legs felt like lead. They were perpetually sore for 10 weeks, which was telling me that this might be just a little bit too much volume that I am not recovering from. So don't like go. I know that we're all ambitious. We want to do the most, but if your body is telling you, Hey, this is too much. I'm very sore. I'm not sleeping well. You know, there's some other markers that might be off. Then I would suggest reducing the, the volume or the frequency, but yeah, to Kim's point, two days is kind of the bare minimum. And, and you can maintain your muscle on two days, unless you are very new to training, probably not going to build a lot on two days. Uh, but then three really becomes that, that sweet spot, three to four. Yeah. And I think for most people like who are listening to this, you're bit busy, <laughs> you know, you, you got full schedules mm-hmm. and other commitments. And so, you know, you don't need to be doing an excessive amount to still see amazing results. Absolutely. I think scheduling plays such an important role in it because the workouts that you're going to do are the ones that are going to work for you. Meaning maybe you, you only have three days available to get into the gym, but technically if you're going to do three full body days and then take rest days in between and hit every muscle group three times a week, that's pretty intense. In fact, that's, that could possibly be even more volume than a four day upper, lower, upper, lower split. So really taking into account what works for you and how much time you have to dedicate to the gym and how you need to allocate that time is probably going to give way to the most beneficial programming for you. Yeah. And I just want to add one more quick thing, because this is something that came up a couple of times this week in my client check-ins is, oh, I had to push my workout day to my typical day to another day. And they felt somewhat guilty about that. And I was like, no, your, your body doesn't know day or time. Mm -hmm. It just knows stimulus. So one of the reasons why I like a three or four day split opposed to five or six is because it does give you that flexibility to push a workout to another day if need be. Mm-hmm. So if something comes up, you know, scheduling conflict, whatever, and you're like, I just can't get it done. Then you have a little bit more freedom to, to push it and not miss a day altogether. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's all about flexibility. I agree. Yeah. That's great. Well, while we're talking about training, next question, Marcel, I'll start with you. Is a deload necessary every four to six weeks? Oh, such a tricky question. Um, four to six weeks. No, not necessarily. And to be honest with you, I don't think most people are pushing themselves hard enough to require a deload every four to six weeks. Like I was saying, uh, that last mesocycle that I was doing like every 
and it's just the program that I'm running right now. And it's not a lot of volume, but every set, and it's usually just one to two sets are taken to complete failure uh, or like one rep shy. So it's intense, not only muscularly, but from a nervous system perspective as well. So please believe at the end of 10 weeks, I was like, can I get a deload? And, you know, the next week we got one, but yeah, if you're just going into the gym and you're, I don't know, two, three, four reps shy of failure. No, you don't need a deload every four to six weeks. However, I will say the one thing that I do suggest, and I learned this from mm, Brett Contreras of all people, uh, is, and this is how he programs deloads is anytime you start a new program, use that first week as kind of a deload week to get a feel for the movements. So grease that groove a little bit. And, and maybe there's a movement that is new for you and you're like, okay, I, I haven't done this. I don't feel super comfortable. So you don't want to go in there and try to like set a PR on a movement that maybe you're not even executing properly. So use that first week as a break in week to recover a little bit. If you really did try to push it hard the previous week at the end of your program, and then, you know, go from there. So I like to say, do a little bit less weight. You can still do the same amount of sets if you want. Um, but yeah, lower the weight a little bit, keep things three to four shot, three to four reps shy of failure, and then start progressing after that. Yeah. Marcia, I actually, that's how I manage deloads um, with my course members as well. I did not learn that from Brett. I learned that from Jordan. Um, and that is the way I program deloads and talk to my course members and clients about deloads is that week one, it's the perfect way to do it because like, you're going to get new exercises. You're going to have to mess around and figure out like where your weight is even supposed to be. So let's just keep things nice and light, practice the, the move it movements, and then we can have a lot of space to um, increase the weight over the course of the next four or six weeks, however long um, that particular program is going to be. The other thing, um, I agree with you that a lot of people who that who we're working with um, and who are going to be listening to this podcast are not necessarily pushing themselves or advanced enough yet to really need that deload every four to six weeks. I really like people to use natural deloads. Like people are like, I have a busy week at work. I'm going on vacation. I am sick. My child is sick. And these things happen enough throughout the year that we have these periods where we're reducing, you know, how much we're training or the type of training, maybe like we're on vacation. So we're just doing a little body weight, something or other. And so we can use those as deloads as well. The, all that said, if you are a person and you're training four times a week and you've been at this for a couple of years and you're working with like true intensity, you would be somebody who's going to benefit more from a deload. If you're somebody who's lifting really heavy, um, this is uh, when uh, the first week of the month uh, for each training cycle that I do, um, I cut our deadlift volume um, intensity back and we do um, RPE five, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really like a light warm up weight um, for that week. Um, so if that's you, deloads are going to be more important for you. If you are a more intermediate to advanced lifter, who's training four plus times per week, um, and really taking, um, using a lot of intensity in your sets. And I love what you said, Kim, about the natural deload weeks with vacations, illnesses, and, and I haven't gotten sick in quite a long time. So that hasn't been something that's come up for me. I had surgery the beginning of last year, I actually had to take five weeks off, which <laughs> talk about a deload. Um, yeah. but I, for a couple of years now, I will take, I will schedule at least one full week off from the gym where I don't even go in there and touch a weight. Mm -hmm. So I just walk and 
Again, not everyone needs to do that. If you haven't been pushing yourself very hard, but I've been at this for 20 years now and yeah. it is, it's a welcomed break. So that was a great point, Kim. How, How do you, you do that? How often do you put that in your calendar, huh? Mars? Uh, I would say minimum one time a week, one time a year, if not two. Okay. Yeah. But like, so this year I took my deload from basically the entire month of February into the first week of March. And I have not taken a week off since then. I've just had those deloads that I was talking about previously. And this coming year, I don't know. I haven't really decided when I'm going to do it, but it's, it's probably soon because my body is feeling it for sure. And to expand on the deload, could we talk briefly about why the deload is important? Why don't you talk about it? Well, you I can tell you from experience recently, I just shared, or I was going back and forth with my coach where I was off on my training. I'm on a five week cycle. And she actually has me do the deload on the fifth week. I met, I do my, um, I try to hit my PRs in week four. Like I slowly get a push each week. And then week four, I try to hit my PRs in week five, I deload. And that I really, and actually I like it on the back end uh, because I feel like it's a, it's a mental deload as well, which is really cool because like, I think we kind of forget that getting in the gym, like you mentally, you have to really get there and get into it, especially when you are trying to hit a PR or learn new moves or whatever. I mean, it takes, it, it takes effort physically and mentally. And so to have my deload week on the back end, when the exercises are just at this point, like coming like clockwork and I know the the volume is much lower, it's really enjoyable. Like it feels like a walk in the park and it's beautiful. And I love that that comes every five weeks, but I realized that I had forgotten to take a deload week one week. And I was just like I was sore. I was crabby. I was not able to just get the simple moves down the first week of the next training cycle. And it's because I resisted the deload and it wasn't even intentional. It was just like, I wasn't watching my calendar and I just kept going and I really felt the difference. So the deload is not only, and of course, not only mentally, but physically that's that is so important in order to reap the benefits of everything that you've done, because the, the growth, the development, the strength, that all happens in the rest period. And so if you're not giving yourself the opportunity to really see those gains form during the rest period, then your work is for naught. Yeah. Anyone wants to expand on that. I'm sure you guys know a little no, bit. I guess it would, you're right. I guess it would have been a good place to start in case people listening, they're like, I don't even know what deload is, right? We could have started there. But the whole point is we want to try and manage fatigue that we have accumulated as we've been training hard. So whether we're putting it at the beginning or the end of a training program, you know, it's all just going to keep cycling back, right? So um, both can work, but the idea is we want to manage fatigue so you can continue to push hard and make the adaptations you want, which are going to equal results. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're, we're going to keep on this thread of, of training in, in the gym. And somebody said, I love a cardio light week class four times a week makes me feel so good and energized, but I do lift heavier three times a week. Will cardio ruin my gains? So it sounds like she likes to do some cardio based activity four times a week and strength train three times a week. I'm pretty sure. Look at that one. Doesn't she say she does cardio with weights? Isn't that what she said? Like weight cardio with light weight. I love a cardio lightweight class. So basically, yeah, so yeah probably like a body pump or an orange yeah. theory or something like that four times a week, but I also do lift heavier three times a week. That's yeah. A lot of and it. I think, yeah. And I think that's the difference there um, because you are doing stuff with weights all these days. 
your results are likely not going to be what you think. And, and that's what I would say is to ask yourself, what am I looking for out of all this? If what you're looking for is just to move your body and you're like, I feel good when I do this and that's what I want, have at it as long as you're recovering appropriately. If what you want is some kind of physique related goal, if that's what you're looking for, I would suggest you adjust what you're doing here. There's nothing wrong with those, those cardio that, you know, like she said, like body pumper things. I would dial down how many times a week you're doing that. Instead of doing that four times a week and strength training three times a week, maybe strength train three times a week and do that. I'd say one, but that might be a big job. I'd say add in one, but you could even add in two um, and, you know, space those things out so that they're not um, inhibiting you recovering from what you're doing in the gym with actual strength training that's that you need to recover from. We want you to be able to recover from that so you can continue to see gains. I think you're likely getting in the way of what you would like if you have a physique-related goal. If you don't, that's a totally different story. Yeah. And if you're doing other forms of cardio, I think that that's different. Mm-hmm. Like what, what? Do you mean like walking or? Like walking or running or rowing or bike riding. Um, still four and three could be a lot for somebody, but it, it could, that could totally work. Like there are plenty of people who like they're runners and they lift three days a week that can work really well. It's just like, she's basically going to be lifting seven days a week. If she's doing the four days, to be clear, lifting in those classes is really kind of cardio with weights. Like you can certainly do cardio with weights and your body will form the adaptation to the stimulus, which you prioritize. And so if you are prioritizing cardio-based activities, then that's a, that's a wonderful adaptation because it's great for your heart. It's great mm-hmm. for your endurance. It's, you're going to feel real good when you're hustling up the stairs and carrying your kids around. But if, again, like you said, Kim, you are looking for physique changes, yes, prioritizing cardio will probably um, affect that. Mars, did you have stuff you wanted to add? Well, my internet was doing something crazy when you were reading the questions. So I, yeah, I wasn't sure what was happening there. <laughs> I don't know. We're good now. So just pass. We'll carry on. Marcy passes. I feel like, I feel like Katie and I covered it there. I I think so. Okay, cool. So, uh, shifting gears here just a little bit, let's talk about how to end the emotional eating cycle during the holidays. So we've spoken before about how to manage our nutrition during the holidays, but we've not yet really touched on emotional eating during the holidays. Kim, do you want to start? Yeah, I think it's an important subject um, because people can struggle with emotional eating all throughout the years, uh, all throughout the year. But as we know, holidays often bring with them like added emotional stress because we're seeing people maybe we haven't seen in a while. We're seeing people that maybe we don't have the, the healthiest relationships with, but they're still a close family. And so this is the time we spend time with them. Um, you know, it could maybe we're going back to places, uh, we're going back home or wherever it is. And, and, you know, th- that we're triggered by various things. I kind of hate that word, but I think everybody knows what I mean. So mm-hmm. I guess what I'm saying is it can be, and then you add on the fact that there's all these hyper palatable foods around and, and, um, it can be a perfect storm to set people up for emotional eating. Um, And so the number one thing I would say, you know, people, I've been reading a lot of posts recently about how emotional eating is totally fine and we shouldn't be telling people to not emotionally eat. And it's a great coping skill. Um, I've been thinking a lot about that. And for me, uh, what I would like to make really clear about emotional eating is I don't think there's anything wrong with about, about it, unless it one gets in the way of you actually dealing with your emotions, because uh, if the problem is that you, you struggle talking to your mom, just eating cake, isn't going to help. Right. So if it's like, if that's the only coping skill you use, that's not a good fit or 
And actually I should say, if it gets in the way of you achieving your goals. And so if you have a goal to lose weight and you rely on emotional eating um, to manage your stress, your sadness, your anger, whatever it is, that is going to inhibit you achieving that goal. And so that's why I find it problematic. Um, If you're like, I really do it. It doesn't really get in the way of my goals. No big deal. Like eat some ice cream when you're sad occasionally, right? It's it's not that big a deal. But if this is a um, perpetual issue, it is something to tackle. Um, Wait, I've said a lot. Mars, do you want to add something about maybe how to manage the emotional eating? Uh, Well, first, one thing I want to say is I think there's a difference between emotional eating to numb your feelings, to distract yourself, to make you feel better because you are, like you said, Kim, triggered, you're upset, you're sad, you're anxious, whatever the emotion is, and emotional eating from a celebratory perspective. Yeah. So there is, there is a difference in my opinion. And let's be honest. I mean, there will be nutrition coaches out there that kind of uh, drill sergeant militant ones, like food is fuel. And, you know, you shouldn't eat things that you enjoy. It's all about the, uh, you know, eating clean and this and that, but I, I don't believe that is true either. There needs to be a middle ground and let's be honest. There are things that we enjoy that we look forward to this time of year. And I know we've talked in previous episodes about choosing what is worth it, leaving behind what is not. And one of my first mentors, she's a, for a business coaching, Jill Fit, she also still has a nutrition side of her business. And she would always use the example um, in talking about this, about like the white sheet cake from Safeway or from like a grocery store, right? Or Costco, like just not that great. And I do have a former client who I'm sure is listening to right <laughs> to this right now, who I know loves her white sheet cake, but for the most of us, it's like, okay, we can take it or leave it. But the cake that your mom makes every year or that special dessert that you really do look forward to that you're not going to be able to go out and buy that you're not going to make yourself. Yes, absolutely. Enjoy it. Savor it. That is fine. So when you are connecting, when you're communing with other people and the eating is emotional in that way, then by all means go for it. But when it is done because you are trying to literally stuff your feelings, that is where we need to have some other coping strategies and really like allow yourself to feel the feeling. Like the only way out is through. You have to allow those emotions to come, to acknowledge them, to witness them, let them move through you. And I've spoken about this too, I think on the the episode, but, or on the podcast, the, the band-aid solutions are fine, but at the end of the day, they're still a band-aid, the going for the walk, the drinking a cup of tea, all of that. It's fine in the moment, but it is not getting to the root of the issue. So That really is going to be, you know, maybe it's not step one, but at some point, if you don't want to keep repeating this pattern, if you want to address it, if you want to move through it and find a solution, then you're going to have to do some deeper work, whether that, I mean, I'm a really big fan of journaling and just doing that emotional release writing to at least get those emotions out. Or, you know, maybe you need to talk to somebody. Maybe this is time where you hire a therapist or you work with a coach who can give you some more, um, some better coping strategies because it's going to be individual for every person as well. Yeah. I think um, really, really great advice there, Marcy. Um, With both of those steps, you know, when, if you're 
at your family Christmas party and your mom always makes cutting remarks and you know, this is going to happen. Um, you're right, Marcy, like just have it going, leaving the room and having a cup of tea that might help in the moment, but it's not solving the, the, the issue. And in the same, same time, maybe Christmas isn't the time to solve that issue. And so doing both of those things, like, Hey, let's get you some immediate coping skills. Like what will I do in the moment? And what will I do long-term? I think both of those working in concert together um, is a great plan for this. And so think like, okay, what if, if you're a person who's like, yeah, I'm likely going to eat emotionally or I'm going to be tempted to emotionally eat over the holidays. This has been my pattern. Look for what what is the thing that triggers the emotional eating? What or who or what's the situation? And then what are your other options? Um, Marcy's point about feeling your feelings is so important. In some cases, it's not it's not gonna it's not practical. Like if you're at the family party and like feeling the feelings is gonna make you start crying in front of 50 people, like maybe in that moment, like feeling the feelings is gonna be more like, I'm gonna manage this when I get back to my bedroom in two hours. Right now, what I need is a way to like not burst into tears and like start cursing at my mom, right? So what do I need to do? Maybe what I need to do is like go play with the babies that are over in the corner. Maybe what I need to do is go help in the kitchen. So look for ways that you can physically do something. I really think that's a great way. Um, like just sitting there with your thoughts and your feelings can be mm-hmm. like a time bomb ready to explode. And so I like to do something physical or have my people do something physical, like go start cutting vegetables in the kitchen, go start playing on the floor with the kids invite some people to like go outside and get some fresh air. Um, like look for something that can help you manage that stress in the moment. Um, even if it's like going to the bathroom, like everybody, hello, we, nobody needs to question us if we have to go to the bathroom again. So like, even if you just need to go sit in the bathroom, like run some cold water over your hands, sit on the floor and take some deep breaths, whatever it is to do to manage in that moment. And then looking for those long-term strategies. What will I do? So this is not the same every dang December. Yeah. I love that, Kim. And I think when I was like, oh, feel your feelings, I was referring to it more in the context of, okay, I'm anticipating that something is going to be difficult in, you know, the coming day, hour, whatever, like feel your feelings then. But yes, what yeah. you're saying about in the moment, such good advice. And really like what we all have access to at any moment is just our breath, like reconnect the breath, like take some, no one knows that you're sitting there taking some long, slow, deep breaths, like do it I'm doing it right now, like in through the nose, you know, it doesn't even have to be out through the mouth, but just that, like practicing that pause and bringing your nervous system down to kind of like out of fight or flight state can be very helpful. And it's so funny because for Thanksgiving, like I rarely get offended anymore. I'm just kind of like, eh, whatever. Uh, People are people. They're going to say what they're going to say. I can't change them. But someone at, uh, at Thanksgiving dinner was like, not at the dinner, but like before the dinner, you know, had said something. I'm like, oh, I can't deal with this right now. And I, I had work to do. Like I needed to respond to a client check-in. So I took my computer. I went outside and I'm like, oh, finally some peace and quiet. And then that family member followed me outside, like oh, pulls up a chair, sits down and like says another triggering comment. I'm like, I can't win here. So, oh, gosh. But again, like I've done the work on the back end to not really let that bother me. So I think that is the, the long-term um, mm-hmm. strategy for sure. I think that's so smart to mention the work on the back end because I interpreted this question. It's so interesting how we read these. You ladies both took it as what do you do in the moment at the event and the experience? For me, I took it as like at the event, at the experience, like, okay, it's when I get home and I'm by myself and the flood of feelings wash mm-hmm. over me and I do need to feel my feelings and mm-hmm. I do have a pantry 
and I do have no other commitments other than Netflix. Like, how do I then manage the emotional eating? Right. And I pretty much wrote a book on this. So um, I certainly am not going to go into it all like in this podcast, but um, a lot of it is what comes down to, and somebody else asked the question on this, what, what I termed the messy middle. And that is Marcy, all the ways, like you said, you do have to feel your feelings and be present. There are certainly things you can do in the moment. I think breath work is a really big one, but a lot of things, even Tim, Kim, what you, you alluded to this in the beginning, like what are your triggers? Let yourself just sit and really sit with the question. What doesn't feel good about that question? Why is that comment or that question that somebody made that made me leave the room? Why is that so triggering to me? And maybe kind of journal on that and meditate on that. And again, those are the sort of practices that allow you to get to the root cause. So yeah, in the moment, maybe you will emotionally eat. Maybe you will come home and eat, you know, several too many cookies or whatever the situation is, but don't focus on that. Focus next on why did that happen? And, and really sort of be, get introspective and, and, and uh, get focused on why that happened. And that's sort of what the inner work is, I think, because maybe you can't control it this time, but you can definitely do something now. You can learn something now to solve for next time. Mm-hmm. Awareness is always the first step. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. So that is about half of the questions that we've received from our listeners. So I think we'll probably stop this one here and, uh, and pick up the rest of the questions on a, on a later date. How's that sound, ladies? Sounds great. Sounds great. Thanks for chatting today. Thanks, everyone, for all the great questions. And we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Bye. bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Decades of Strength podcast. If you liked this, if it was helpful for you, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review wherever you're listening. It really does help our work get in front of more people. Thanks so much for being here with you and we'll see you again next week.